Hey, this is Amna Benny Hashim, and you can be whatever you want to be. <laughs> You'll check it out. A whole new generation of young people today who belong nowhere. But I prefer to be an outcast. Third culture kids where the concept of the dukan is the, the corner shop where the top uh, We are live outside. Hey, yo, what's up, people? What up, nation? It's a revolution of expression. You tuned into the dukan show, stay tuned in. Arab digital generation is shaping our identity, their creative expression, and their future. So please give a very warm welcome. Welcome to your tribe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Dukan Show. Today we have, I, in my opinion, a champion, <laughs> a champion with us today. Her name is Emna, and uh, she is a champion show jumper. But most interesting to me, Emna, what's your master's in? What is? What are you doing your master's in? <laughs> Um, I have a bachelor's degree in, in mechanical engineering and a master's in moral economy and sustainable development. What is a mo the moral economy? Somebody, because I, I, we saw that and we were like, that is the most interesting thing I think we've read this I've week. I've never heard that before. Explain the moral economy. Yeah. It's actually um, based on Islamic economy. So... Um, we were taught a spectrum of normal economic uh, theories that our current economy is based on, and it's mainly capitalism. And then there was the moral side that was missing. So the world functions as seeing humans as a utility, but I was interested to understand what if we brought in the moral aspect and the value aspect and considering a human as a human, not a means to an end, and how the world would be in it from that perspective. So it was actually something I was very interested to learn about, and that's why I took the master's during Corona. No, it's that's where, wonderful. Where where did you go for that? Um, I studied it in Scotland uh, online in the Al Maktoum College of Higher edu Education. No, that's pretty cool. I like it. And before that, you said you're a mechanical engineer as well. So, yeah. Mashallah, and you're very um, scientific on one side, but also very passionate and artistic on the other with your sports as well, right? And it's fascinating because I think you're you're a show jumper, but also you're a shooter. Yeah. Okay. As Can like, you explain? Yeah. yeah, like tell us what that's about. Give us, give us the journey. Basically, um, when I was younger, I was actually very interested in science and physics and how the world works. And that's why like, I went for mechanical engineering to start. But um, throughout my university days, like, I was always a sporty person since I was young. And I always did basketball, football. Like, I was literally the jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> but, um, that allowed me to you know, explore and find myself. So I remember like when I first started riding, like none of my family members are riders or friends or family, like nothing. And it was just like a faint memory I had when I was a kid. And I remember the guy holding the horse and he was telling me, oh, you're good, you know? So I was like, okay, why not? Let me try that. You know, horse riding wasn't a trend when I started. So um, I remember I started riding and ever since my first jump, I knew that was what I wanted to do forever, you know? And I used to say, yeah, I have a passion, I have this and that. And But actually, when you find your passion, there's literally nothing else. Like, if it's if there's something else you can mention, then it's a hobby. Mm. True. That's true. Yeah. I like that. That's a very interesting point. So, 
your passion is show jumping shooting yes. is the hobby yes shooting is the hobby and the way shooting started was actually through my friends in riding who also shoot as well because they have like a police background so we thought one day okay why not we were riding horses in the desert and they're like oh there's a shooting range so we literally parked the horses started <laughs> shooting and my trainer was like oh wow you're actually really talented you should join this competition and i joined and i ranked 10th in the country in the ladies um field. amazing congrats thanks yo that's pretty cool and like Oh my god. Okay, so this is really fascinating because on one like the I think both sports you're performing at such a high caliber, which is really really wonderful. Um so in the in the show jumping, I think you're competing at a not only at a national level but you're competing globally as well, right? Yeah, I'm competing internationally, yes. Okay, and to be able to compete internationally, I believe you need to have you like your horse and you have this chemistry right to be able to sort of you know pr- compete and perform can you walk us through like how does this relationship develop and how do you get to kind of have this connection to your horse honestly it's the most amazing thing on earth and i always tell my family like i don't know how people who don't ride are living because <laughs> honestly and i know this sounds very biased to my sport but i think it's really special because of the connection that you mentioned actually um it's literally like finding a soulmate and i think everyone knows how hard that is it's literally a relationship that you communicate with the horse so if you think about it a horse isn't just going to go in the ring and jump the fences for you <laughs> or on its own right so they're actually doing it because you ask and when you train a horse and you ride a horse it's literally a silent conversation that's happening through your body and your energy so if my horse is like not in the mood that day or he's not happy or agitated i would know the moment i get on the horse and he would know my energy as well right and like a horse can flick a fly off any part of its body so imagine how <laughs> much wow. it can sense you and i remember riding a lot of horses in france and some were so sensitive that even if you like crunch your abs they would gallop so oh, wow yeah, they actually can feel your pulse through your legs and and everything so it's a very deep connection mm-hmm. and it only a rider can understand that because like you will not have the same connection with every horse the same way you won't, you won't have a connection the same with every person you know every human being brings out a, a certain side of you so every rider can bring out a certain side of the horse and the horse does that to the rider as well so it's a very interesting uh, thing that you mentioned because people look and they always tell me like don't you get bored every day you ride you do the same thing but actually every day is different because the horse is different every day you know and the mood is different every day so every day is a challenge wow and do you spend time with the horse with that riding like is there sort of um i mean i don't this might be a silly question but like you know if you're trying to meet somebody you'll date you'll get spend time together get to know each other do different activities yeah. to know each other better right yeah. do you do different activities um, with your horse to get to know each other better as well is that like one of those things unfortunately i don't have the luxury of time because i'm 
self-sponsored. So I ride in the morning, I wake up at four, I'm at the stables at 5.30, and then I ride and I have to go to work. But if I had the time, of course, it would be more beneficial because the horse can, you can teach the horse to trust you the more you spend time with it. And the, mm. the stronger the relationship, the better the communication when you ride. And actually, a lot of riders do on the ground work. It's actually called natural horsemanship. And mm-hmm. um, it really strengthens the bond and the communication between a horse and a rider. Wow, that is wonderful. You mentioned that you're self-sponsored. How does an athlete, like, so, because you have to understand for a lot of us who are not in the world of athletics, we don't really understand the politics or the practice of sponsorship or self-sponsorship. So tell us how you are sponsoring yourself. And if somebody wants to get into the sport, is that an option for them? Yeah, I mean, every sport is an option for everyone. And the thing is, is uh, sports costs money. And it's very rare that you would get a monetary return back. Usually the thing you take back from sports is fulfillment, health, and a good lifestyle. And basically I'm self-sponsored because I have a job and my job funds my sport. Obviously my goal and my dream, like every athlete that takes a sport seriously, is the Olympics. But that costs money, you know, and uh, at that level, you need to spend all day riding, training, focused on one thing. You know, that's what it takes to be the best. But different circumstances apply to different people. And in my case, until now, I am self-sponsored. Okay. And I think that is inspiring for anybody who wants to, because I think sometimes the negotiation of getting sponsored is such a dream that's so far away for people. Self-sponsorship, though difficult, allows people access to a sport. You can sponsor yourself. You are able to compete if that's your dream or if that's, if you found, you know, your soulmate in sport somewhere. Um, yeah. I think it's very possible. It just requires a lot of dedication and it requires sincerity towards what you want. Because if you don't really want it that bad, it's really difficult to wake up at four in the morning. And it's even more difficult to go to bed at eight or nine because you have, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into that. I've lost a lot of friends you know, that couldn't understand the reason why you would always cancel or not go out in the evening or, you know. So it actually, in my opinion, was a benefit because it filtered out who was real and who wasn't. Mm. There was a lot of learning that happened during my, you know, journey. And I would say horses changed me. They taught me a lot about myself and they challenged me to overcome many fears that I had and mental barriers because riding is, you know, in my opinion, at least like 50% mental because your fear unconsciously affects your body language and your body language directly affects the horse. So if this is not right, then nothing Mm -hmm. goes right. Then nothing is right. Yeah, I could see that. I could totally see that. And so... When we were speaking to um, one of the, I believe it was Holly, one, we were we were having a conversation, and one of our team mentioned that you'd fallen off a horse. Yeah, was is this some was what happened? Like, what was the situation? 
Um, actually, I fell so many times, I've lost count, but that was a significant fall because I was actually competing in the Longines final championship. So it was literally the final show of the season. And I was doing really well. Like I was going to literally place first because <laughs> no one cleared that round, actually. But I had two fences left and my saddle malfunctioned. Oh, no. When I was over the jump. So when I landed, I thought I would have... Have the same balance so I didn't change my balance you know and mm. as soon as I landed there was nothing on the left side and I literally just fell and I woke up and I saw like a crowd around me and yeah <laughs> oh my god my my arm broke in half literally here oh no and up at your shoulder so, so it's just a, just yeah. below your shoulder yeah. your arm just totally broke yeah. in and half it, it was severed yeah and I had eight fractures the arm and my rotator cuff, because it was literally on its own, rotated, dislocated. Oh, no. Yeah. My goodness. Wow. So, so this is, well, you you seem wonderful now. So we <laughs> yeah. assume that you have healed, that everything is great, that you are recovered. Yeah, I am recovered. But uh, actually, during the time when the injury first happened, the doctor told me that there's a big chance that I will never regain normal range of motion. And like all the nurses were telling me like, don't ride, this is too dangerous, you know, because at that time it was extreme. I was literally gonna die. Uh, when, I'm, when my sister was prepping me for surgery, um, I lost consciousness in her arms. And they literally had to revive me just like the movies. I remember hearing so many people rush into the room and yeah. trying to wake me up. And I was literally just in my head thinking, I just want to sleep. Like, stop talking to me, you know. And uh, when I woke up, like, my mom was in tears. My sister was in shock. My other sister was in shock. And I, I just, the only thing I could think about that time was, like, just, Tell me I can ride again. And when I woke up from the first surgery, my my surgeon told me that I asked him the first thing, what, even when the tube was still in my throat, I was choking, so they took it out. And I asked him, like, when can I ride? And that was the first question I had. And I don't even remember. Yeah. So it truly is, it truly is your North Star. Because yeah. after all of this, you know... Um, and so how, what was your family's sentiment after seeing you in such a difficult situation? Were they okay with you riding again? Because, you know, we put our family through the things that we go through. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And um, I think it was a difficult period for everyone and everyone had their own reaction, which was actually very difficult for me as well, because I didn't want to hear anything negative you know because yeah, I, fair enough I wanted to keep my head you know I didn't want to fall into the trap of like depression or you know something that would like decrease my chances of you know having hope right so I think everybody was also tiptoeing because they knew how passionate I was and, and I would like literally if I he heard the negative comment I would ask the person to leave the room and not so visit nobody me. wanted to bother you they're just yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like yeah whatever you need I'm not it's all yeah. <laughs> exactly and then it was it was a bit also like you know uh, none of my family members actually compete or have a professional sport. So it's very difficult for them to accept and understand as well that, you know, this is this is going to happen. Like, I'm, I am going to ride again. But I think they understood after that, you know. They were, they, 
that if they told me you can't ride, then it's going to be like World War Three. literally. Yeah. <laughs> like the second day after I left the hospital, actually I left, I, I do not recommend this to any of the viewers, but I left before I was discharged as well. Because, you know, they yeah. were... They kept me a week after the surgery and because I was unstable, you know, because my heart was going to give out before the surgery. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to monitor me for a bit longer than other patients, but I refused. And I was like, I'm going to be sick if I stay here. You know, the hospital is making me sick. Yes, I'm one of those people. Right. So I'm one of those people. So I'm, I'm with you. Left the hospital and I just started, like, I, I chucked all the meds and I was like, if... I have the mental strength to, to live after this. I'm going to have the mental strength to survive this and to heal. Like God created me and the whole world. So what's the shoulder? So that's the yeah. perspective. Where, I took. where did that belief come from? Because that's unusual, even amongst a lot of athletes. And we, we, we know a lot of athletes. We're athletes ourselves. Like, it's a very unusual thing to go like, you know what? I don't need these meds. I can figure this out. If I have the mental strength to go through this, I can I can make it work. Like that's such an inherent and very deep, strong belief in one person, right? So you know, wh- where did that where did that come from? How did you adopt that? Honestly, it was um, faith. You know, um, faith in God. And I know everyone mm. has their own beliefs, and that's you know, I respect all perspectives. That my core strength and my pillar is my faith in God. And, you know, I believe that he created us and the universe and there's a system for everything and we're connected to him through our energy. And our molecules react to sound and whatever we expose our body to, not just what we eat. So actually, your mind is a very strong, you know, aspect. And the only way that I found my mental strength and the unwavering will to, to live and the hope, you know, of a brighter future is through God. And, mm-hmm. you know, we believe that God has good intentions and no, no experience you go through is something you cannot handle if God presented you this challenge so for me it wasn't a problem it was simply a challenge and it was an opportunity for me to grow and I wasn't I wasn't gonna let it stop me so I hung on to that belief and the doctors told me that you know it would take 18 months minimum to to get the second surgery but actually it took me 97 days to heal fully Um, Oh, wonderful. Even though I have like a bone problem, uh, I have low bone density. So the doctor told me, you know, that would really minimize the chances of me, you know, healing fully and perfectly. But actually, the doctor was shocked. He's like, you're definitely you're definitely going to succeed in the sport. I remember calling me his star patient. And (laughs) till today, I go to the same doctor. He treats me all the time for my injuries and I made it. I did the second surgery in 97 days. And on the third day after my surgery, I was back on the horse. And I remember my trainer refused to train me because I had like all the bandages, you know, and everything. Right. And he's like, I'm not going to, you know, be involved in this, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, you don't want to train me. I'm still going to ride. So I like, 
I'll sign a waiver. This is on yeah. me. I'm okay. ready. <laughs> anyway, you know, so <laughs> good for you. That's because you know what doctors say a lot of things all the time. Like when, especially when it comes to like recovery time or projections, because that's based on what they're taught. But everybody's different. Like the number of times I've I've dealt with, you know, the health industry where doctors told me, "Oh, you're not going to recover this way," or these certain issues are going to happen, and. Alhamdulillah, like you overcome them in ways that you didn't expect, but even the doctors didn't account for either. And I think in that sense, that's good because I think, you know, the medical pessimism sometimes kind of gives you a worst case scenario. But then like, okay, it's on me to defeat, to beat that, right? To beat those odds. Yeah. So yeah, that's. Yeah, and I, Please I go ahead, like mention this to the people that I know, you know, and um, I, I watched a really interesting documentary by Dr. Emoto. He's a Japanese scientist that did a study on water. I don't, maybe you're aware of it. Yes, I've mm-hmm. seen it. I've seen so it. Basically, he exposed water to different things and sounds. And, you know, the water reacted accordingly to aggressive music, to swearing and to, you know, the Quran and other like, you know, classical music. So we're like 60, I think 60% water. So even the music that we listen to or whatever we expose like our bodies in terms of sound will create unrest in our bodies. And it will create like chaos in the molecules, which will, you know, be kind of like an environment for, you know, unhealthy body. So I also limit my, my music. Like I don't listen. Exposure. Yeah, I, I don't switch on music when I'm alone and I don't switch it on when I'm in the car. And I think like my mind really calmed down after that. And I realized that cutting it out actually gave me so much more clarity and focus in my daily life. Like it literally mm. freed up a lot of space in my head. And I was a music addict. Like I would listen to music from when I wake up until I sleep. But actually now I, it gives me a headache. So So now you prefer silence or do you listen to something else? I I listen to documentaries when I'm Mm -hmm. in the car or I listen to anything that would, you know, um, increase my knowledge in a specific thing that I'm interested in. Uh, At the moment it's learning Spanish. So... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I, I like to use my time effectively and also like engineering really taught me that, you know, time is very valuable. And uh, I remember before I studied engineering back in school, I would like waste hours on end watching series and movies, going to the cinema. But after engineering and horses, I realized that, oh, I could actually use these two hours to finish, you know, a lot of things. So it made me realize the value of time. And that was a very important lesson to learn. And I was lucky to learn it at a very young age. Yeah, engineering school is a discipline. Like it, it, there's a discipline that engineering teaches you. Beyond it, beyond the discipline of school, but much more that we talked about this at the very early stages of the pandemic, which is if we're talking about dieting and health, we should talk about the content diet that we consume because that's equally impacting our mental health, our physical health. And I think you're a real great example of that. 
you like clarity comes in the silent spaces. It doesn't come when there's a lot of a, a bombardment of information. Um, the other thing we, I want to point out, Amna, is that this is your first podcast, right? Yeah, it is my your, first podcast. <laughs> I want to introduce you to the world of podcasts because it's a world of, well, obviously, like everything else, there's great things, but it is a world of absolute learning. Our world of podcasting is a world of, you know, documentaries and information and investigative journalism. So, you know, uh, it picked it in the right places. I actually think you're somebody who would really enjoy them because it is something that we believe has educated us and has helped us grow in our own, you know, spaces in our own ways. For sure. I'm willing to bet there's a podcast about show jumping and equestrians and horses yeah. somewhere. I yeah. bet it exists. I'm to look that up, actually. <laughs> 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 yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I realized while you're speaking is, you know, you talk about the horse being on the horse and that energy and the connection to something greater than us, a connection to being and a connection to, you know, God and the universe. I imagine because you were training for so long that every day you were meditating, if you will, for the time you were on the horse. So it makes sense to me, you know, that you. it makes sense to me that once you got injured, you know, oh, my, I didn't ask my body to heal. My body's healing. You didn't ask it, oh, okay, arm, heal right now. No, yeah. you know, it's healing right now. That's very true. And you know exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's wonderful. And you, like, I realized a lot, like people who are always stressed and they're always like at home and they don't move and they don't do sports and stuff, like their body releases hormones and these hormones make them sick, you know, because it's it's not something that should be repeated over and over and over. Like the diffuser of all these unhealthy behaviors that your body has the potential to do is sports and a healthy mindset and a healthy lifestyle and a healthy diet as well. So uh, for me, like I really try to avoid, you know, missing a lot of sport days and like I don't have enough time to go to the gym every day but I do include it in my week because you know you need to have a certain amount of muscle tone to sustain all the impact from the riding as well like if I don't train I get injured you know and an injury hinders your progress so it's like everything is like it's like a whole lifestyle, you know, if you want to be, if you want to have a quiet, healthy mind, then you have to have a complete lifestyle. You can't ignore like one part of it and do one part and then say, you know, why isn't it working? You know, no, definitely. Yeah. So and how do you manage your like work life, sport, balance, passion, family, all that together? Time management and discipline. Mm -hmm. I cannot stress how much discipline it takes. So when you say you're going to do something, you better do it, you know? And um, if I say I'm going to wake up at four in the morning, sometimes I wake up without my alarm. And I, you know, I wake up like a minute before my alarm because, you know, your body knows. And if you're serious, you can do it. It's very doable. So if I don't wake up at four in the morning, I'm not going to be able to do this lifestyle. So I wake up at four and actually in a weird way, like, waking up at that time you feel like time is longer like longer if yeah. yeah if i'm late 10 minutes i lose two hours of my day if i'm early 10 minutes i gain 10 two hours of my day in the afternoon which was very weird and when i realized this i i, I said I'm, I'm never gonna change my lifestyle and actually it started even in school before i arrived i used to wake up school and i used to run on the beach 
And, you know, I would finish my workout before school. So, you know, in our time, we didn't have all these fancy schools and we had like, ghetto playgrounds, you know. (laughs) There wasn't much sports involved. There were no, you know, gym wasn't that important. So No, it wasn't. So all this started for you quite early. Yeah. No, that's amazing. It shows like how time builds habits, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And whatever you train, your, your brain is like a muscle. Whatever you train it to do, it will do it subconsciously after a certain amount of time. You know, so that's why it's like people should be very aware about what they train their their brain to do. Like even working 24 hours a day is unhealthy. And if you keep training your mind to do that, you won't have time for recovery and you will eventually burn out in a very bad way. You know, it might last even 20 years. You can sustain that lifestyle, but you don't want to end up in the ICU. So... What I learned from my shoulder injury is I need to respect my body and I need to respect it when it ha- when it's injured. So when my body tells me that it's tired, then I have to rest. I will take a day off, you know? Honestly, it's been very enlightening talking to you, Amna. Like, I think this Inspiring has been such a great, talking great, to you. great conversation. And I love having these kind of conversations in the morning. Like, so people just help, like kick off the rest of the day, you know, and it kind of sets a tone for everything, which I really enjoy. It. Thank you. I, I appreciate Thank it. you for your time, for your wisdom, for sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Thank you for kicking it with us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode as much as we enjoyed creating it for you. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast at to stay up to date with all our conversations. Also, if you don't mind, hit us with the five-star rating, leave a comment, let us know how you feel about the show. That way, it could also help others find the show. And be sure to share with your friends and family, whoever you think can benefit from it. You can holler at us on all social media platforms at The Can Show. We'd love to hear from you. Or you could drop us an email to hello at thecanmedia.com. Salam.